You're listening to a sermon from Tyler Christian Fellowship in Tyler, Texas. Find us on the web at tcftyler.com or send us an email, tcftyler at gmail.com. So are the kids gonna go. So we'll let the kids go to uh, children's ministry. They're gonna. Are y'all going next door today? Okay. Go on, minister in the nursing home. Let's just pause and pray for them as they go. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for um, this precious um, part of your expression of your body, Lord. Um, these little ones, Lord. Uh, who are, have so much potential. And I just pray, Lord, that you would use them uh, to bring grace, Lord, to those that they minister to today, Lord. Um, I'm sure that they don't know and often we don't know, Lord, the impact that we have. Uh, but I just pray for that one over there today that's lonely, Lord. Uh, the, that one over there, there today that doesn't even know why she's still alive, Lord. Um, I just pray for them, Lord, that these children would minister something deeper, uh, into their hearts, Lord, than they would even expect uh, to come from children. Because it's really not coming from the kids, it's coming from you, Lord. But you're using uh, children to do that. Thank you for those who are serving in children's ministry, Lord. Thank you for them giving their time uh, to that, Lord. Uh, to care for our kids, to lead our kids. And I pray that they would receive a double portion, Lord, for, um, for their obedience and for their faithfulness to serve today. We just thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I uh, am going to go a different direction today. Um, I have some thoughts, but you can go ahead and put the overhead up. But last week we started by talking about how um, obedience um, unlocks power and how when we take that step, we. Uh, we see the power of God released in our lives. And a lot of times, it's not visible before we get there. So like if you're thinking, you know, when I see that I have the goods and the wherewithal to do it, then I will take a step. You'll never take a step. Um, because God tells us what he wants us to do, and then he expects us to, to operate in obedience to the Lord. And man, when we do, the fog lifts, the power comes, you find that the things that you were concerned about are no concern whatsoever. He's got it well in hand. That the only thing that he's really after is your heart. That's all he's really after. And he's not after your heart to capture it or to, um, to do stuff with it. He's after your heart to make your heart what he always wanted it to be. Um, he's put desires and things in your heart. And we're the ones that keep getting in the way. He wants to help us. He wants to deliver um, those things to us and so we used the uh, scripture last week from uh, Joshua and uh, Joshua chapter 3 when they came into the promised land a lot of people know about the parting of the Red Sea um, often people don't know or forget about uh, the parting of the River Jordan and those two things are um, equally important and equally significant um, so last week we talked about the parting of the Jordan and that God said when the priest put their foot in the water, then it will divide. So they had to operate in freedom. They had to actually step in and get wet in order for, for their obedience to bring about that power. And when they did, man, it did. And it said they walk, walked across on dry land. 
Um, today I want to talk about how consistency powers uh, vision. But something that I got into this morning that I'm not sure if it's a, if it's a wormhole or, or what, but um, that I want to um, pursue just a little bit is these two partings, the parting of the Red Sea and the parting of the Jordan. And what the Lord was showing me about these things is the parting of the Red Sea is, is leaving uh, Egypt. And when he parted the Red Sea, it had two, it, it had two uh, effects. One, after that Red Sea was parted, after they walked across on dry ground, and after the sea was restored, that was forever a barrier that they could never go back to. They could not go back to Egypt. Now, we know from the Scriptures that there was still a lot of Egypt in their heart, but they could not physically go back to Egypt because God's not going to part the waters and give them the ability to go back to Egypt. And the second effect, effect that it had is that it killed some of their enemies, but it also was a barrier to the enemy that that enemy could not cross. He could not pursue them. And what God did is he was separating his people from Egypt. And then he spent 40 years in the wilderness because he knew what he had in these people. And he said, this whole generation has to pass away before I can raise up a generation that's going to go into the promised land. What God was doing is purging them. He was separating them from everything that they had known. They've been there for 400 years. So that's what, 40 generations? No, so that would be 100 generations or more um, that they had been there. No, 10 generations, sorry. Um, that they had been there, and they had learned a lot of things, and they had be seen a lot of things. They still had their identity as a nation, but they did not really know God. They really didn't, they, they had not been walking with God. They didn't, they didn't understand. All they had been is oppressed, and they had been slaves. And when he separated them from Egypt, they were still slaves in their heart. And they still had a lot of work to do. And so there was 40 years of going around in the wilderness and then God said, I'm going to bring them into the promised land. So he separated them from the past, but that was not the whole thing. He also wanted to separate them into the promised land. And so he did a very similar thing. He parted the waters, which was a barrier to them. He parted the waters and brought them into the, to the promised land. And then the waters closed up behind them. So once again, they're separated from that wandering. They can't go back to that wandering. It's like they're in now. And they're not going back. God had delivered on His promise. So uh, another thing that was uh, unique about this is that God told them, take stones from that dry riverbed, one, one man from each of the tribes, to get a stone, put it on his shoulder, and carry it to where you're going to be on the other side, in the promised land, and you stack those stones. And you know why He said to do that? He said, when your children ask what this is, so God's already thinking about the next generation. He's thinking about consistency, not just the, the, the miracle that's happened from their obedience, but he's also thinking about the consistent walk that he wants them to have and the effect that he wants them to have on, on future generations. He said, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? You tell them this story. You tell them that the Lord delivered us from Egypt and that the Lord delivered us into this promised land. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. Baptism is like that Red Sea experience. And I don't think nobody's saved by baptism, but baptism is an outward sign of an inward reality that's a really important part of your foundation. Because there's an enemy that's pursuing you, 
There's a life that you used to have that you need to have a, an event to point to and an act of obedience, and that's what, that's what baptism is. It's an act of obedience. You need to have that so that you'll have some, some goods to show that you can say, I am in. Because if you look at yourself, you're not going to be able to say that because you're still going to be a mixed bag. And I, God has a lot to do to, 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 um, to refine you. But you are in. You make a profession of faith, you are in, and the enemy has no place with you. He has no place with you. He cannot cross. You crossed that Red Sea because you took a step of obedience. And God did the, the, the power, unleashed the power. That was not your own doing. Don't let the devil ever tell you that. That was not your own doing. Guy that got, had a huge influence on our lives, and I know I've told this story before, um, but he was backslidden from the Lord and he was hanging out with us. And he went to a Halloween party. And when he got to the party, somebody introduced him to another guy at the party, and they said, y'all got a lot in common. Both of you used to be real religious. And this guy from the party said to my friend, yeah, I guess that's a phase we all have to go through. And it hit my friend like a knife in the heart. All night long at the party. I don't even know if he was dressed up like anybody. All night long at the party, he's miserable. Everybody else is having fun, and he's miserable. And at the end of that uh, party, he stepped up to the guy that had said that to him um, at first. And he said to him, he said, listen, man, God is real. This is not real. God is real. And everybody laughed at him. You see, he had, there was something that had happened in his life that he could not dismiss as just being a phase that he had been through. That's what that experience of leaving Egypt does. That's what baptism does for us, is that it says we can never go back. I'm not just going through a phase. I'm not just going off the deep end. I'm stepping into, by obedience, into a place that I have never been before, and I am becoming something that I have never been before. Do you understand what I'm talking about here? And that's such a necessary thing for all of us to experience. That separation from Egypt. That separation from the people that we were. That separation from bondage. That separation unto God. In fact, that's how God described it. He said, I want my people to go. Let my people go so that they can worship. That's what he told Pharaoh. Just let them go so that they can worship. And God got them to Himself and they spent 40 years in the wilderness. And none of that generation made it except our hero Joshua today. None of them made it. Joshua and Caleb, two of them. Every, every one of them else perished in the wilderness, including Moses. Because there was something that was in those people that God said, I want to bring you, in, I want to bring you as a new people into this promised land. And that's what God wants to do with us. And so they come to the River Jordan. And again, it's a barrier. It's an impossibility. That Red Sea was an impossibility. And God said, all I need is your obedience. And the same thing happened in Jordan. Coming out of Egypt, all it took was obedience. Coming into the promises of God, coming into the richness and the fullness of the life that He has for you, also is impossible. And all it takes is that step of obedience to God. And then 
everything changes on the inside of you. Here's the keys to consistency. Walking consistently with the, wor- with the Lord. The problems that Israel had, number one, was what? What, did, what would you say was the biggest problem that Israel had? I'll give it to you. It's idolatry. And it started as soon as God gave them the law, as soon as God gave them the thing that made them his unique people, they built an altar. They built a, 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 a God themselves. And listen, they didn't think that they were building a new God. They thought that they were building the God that had brought them out of Egypt. But this God was not alive. The God on the mountain that they were afraid to approach was very much alive. And this is a, this is a key, man. Every time you build a God, or every time you construct a God, or every time you say, my God, so-and-so, as if it's my God, like I'm the one that has created this God, you will make a little God. You will leave out the most important parts, the parts that hurt, the parts that offend, the parts that are hard, the parts that are confusing, the parts that are, that are not under your control. You'll leave those parts out. And mark my words, you will need a God that has these parts because that's the only real God that's going to bring you life. You can't make a God. If you make a God, you're making Him in your own image instead of God making you in His image. And they built that, that altar. That was the very first thing that they did. Idolatry. Idolatry is a small God. He takes care of a little thing. He takes care of a part. Something that you have a problem with. You okay, Mike? That's what the um, disciples on the road to Emmaus, they said, you know, that, that um, uh, Jesus was talking to him and he said, um, he, he said that they were slow of heart to believe all that the Scripture had said. All that the Scripture had said. They left out the hard parts. They left out the crucifixion parts. And as we know, that's the essential part. That's the, assen- that's the reason why he came. Keys to consistency, obedience to God's will. We're not earning our salvation, but we're demonstrating our salvation. If you're walking in something, and one of the things that we've just covered and rooted um, is the uh, lesson on strongholds. Um, and it's one of the best lessons. It's one of the most, I mean, we, we're going to do, you know, a, we do a day of prayer or a couple of hours of prayer, um, which every time we do that, we're like, why don't we do this more often, you know? It just seems maybe intimidating or it seems, you know, like it would be hard. And once you get into doing it, it goes just like that. It's amazing how, how we do that. that was, that's a great part of uh, Rooted. We do a service project. Where we're going to go serve somewhere in the community. And that's, a, that's also a great thing. But I think this, this lesson on strongholds may be the most important lesson that we do. Where we actually sit down with our brothers or our sisters and we talk about the things in our own life that have consistently given us problems. And you know why we can do that? Because God gives us grace to be honest. God gives us the ability 
to be honest with each other, where we don't have to save face and we don't have to protect ourselves, where we can honestly sit across from people and say, this is what I struggle with. This is what I find difficult. And you know what Jesus says? He says, I've got that. I, I get it, and I've got it. He's like, there's no reason to hide that from me because I'm the answer to that because he's the stronghold in your life. All these other little strongholds will have to fall. There's a difference between violating the will of God ignorantly and intentionally violating the will of God. And that's what he wants to forgive us for. And that's if we're going to walk consistently with the Lord, we have to walk consistently in obedience to what we know is the will of God. In our marriages, in our jobs, in our community, in our faith community, we have to walk consistently with that. And that brings us to the second one, forgiveness. At the Last Supper, Jesus... Uh, took a towel and girded himself, and he bent down to, wa to wash their feet. Do you know what that was all about? Do you know what that was for? See, he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's who he is. And what he was doing with their feet, he wants to do with your life. And that's part one, right? If you haven't experienced that, if, if sin is still you know, an issue for you. We ought to be good at handling this stuff. And if we're honest with ourselves and honest with God, we will be good. We won't be shocked by sin. We won't be shocked by sin in ourselves or sin in other people. Because we know the answer. We know the solution. There's only one solution, and that's the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the only solution for sin. But it is a perfect solution. It is a complete solution for sin. But he didn't just do it to wash their feet. He did it as an example that we should wash one another's feet. That we should take away the sin of each other. That we should not hold sin against people, but that we should be a, a, an agent in one another's lives to take away the sin that's there. Instead of holding that sin and holding it against people and identifying people by their sin. He said, I do this as an example for you so that you might do this to one another. There is no way that we're going to walk consistently with God if we're holding things against other people. There is no way. It, it is a heavy weight. Paul says to lay, away, lay aside every heavy weight. You've been hurt. I've been hurt. You've failed. I've failed. But that's a weight that, God, that we have a solution to. That will trip you up, that will slow you down, that will break your heart and break other people's heart. Love hurts. Love wounds. Love scars. You heard that song? Love that song. There's no redemption in it. You shouldn't love if you're not tough enough to love. But here's the other part of that. That's, that may be talking about human love, but when you're talking about God's love, all of that is true. It hurts, it wounds, it scars, but it's life. It's life. It's the life that he's invited us into and that we will experience the same things that he experienced. He says that over and over again. 
We'll experience the same things that he experienced, but we'll also get the same reward that he got. We will also see the same outcome, the same promise that God has for us. Forgiveness. The next one is spiritual growth. And this is where people get tripped up sometimes because they think, some people think or think that they earn their salvation or that they're, um, that they're, they're becoming a good person because of these things. And that's not necessarily true. What's happening is, is that you're demonstrating the life that's within you. Because it's funny how we look at ourselves sometimes and criticize ourselves. In fact, I think that most people's criticism is worse. Their own criticism of themselves is worse than what anybody else would say to them on the outside. But if you are consistently growing in your faith, then you will consistently have fruit in your life to show for it. And if you have that fruit in your life to show for it, you will be much more likely to be walking with the Lord 10, 15, 20, or 30 years from now. And if you're not doing those things, if you're taking it easy, if you're sitting back, if you're sleeping through it, then when the day of adversity comes, it's going to be a lot harder day for you. The next one is faithfulness in season and out of season. There's seasons that are going to come and there's seasons that are going to go. Some of them are going to be awesome springtime seasons where it just seems like life is bursting out all over. Some of them are going to be fall, autumn seasons where it looks like everything's dying in front of you. What do you do? You just be consistent with it and you trust God with it. Some of the hardest things that I've ever been through in my life, there's only one thing that has kept me going, and that's I knew what the will of God was for that day, and I did that thing. And if you do that thing, you will find that it'll open up before you. The barriers will open up before you. The blessing of God will, will come um, eventually to you. The next is membership. The word says that we are members one of another. We are members one of another. So often people in the church behave like people in the world. So often people in the church are much more characterized by Egypt than they are by the promised land, the promised life that God has for us. This ought to be the place where we can love each other, man. This is like a hot box right here. Anything ought to grow here. Any little bit of love, any little bit of virtue that's in a person's life ought to flourish in this atmosphere. Amen? This ought to be the place where it's easy to love. This ought to be the place where we're all, even understanding one another's faults, we know that we all have faults. Colossians 3.13 says, You must make allowance for each other's faults and forgive the person who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. The mercy of God shows us how to show the motivation for us to show mercy to others. Whenever you're hurt by someone, you have a choice to make. Will I use my energy and my emotion to, for retaliation or for resolution.
Membership means that we're members one of another. Membership means that I have a vital role to play in the body of Christ. Membership means that, that if, if I'm gone, if I'm lost, if I'm not there, the body of Christ is less because of that. Now, it doesn't mean that God is not going to accomplish His purposes. But it hurts every little bit every time somebody leaves. Every time somebody walks away from a relationship instead of resolving that relationship, it wounds and it scars and it hurts people. Even if they don't walk away like talking bad about you. Every time it happens, we lose something. Now, I'm very idealistic about the body of Christ. Not because of you guys, even though you guys are awesome, but because of Jesus. Because I know this is his idea. And I know that he is at work right here. That there are tongues of flame, as it were, over each one of your heads. You belong to him. And there's a, there's a work that's going on in your life right now. It's not just people that we're dealing with, but it's the Spirit of God also that we're dealing with. I'm very idealistic when it comes to the body of Christ. And that has been tested over and over and over and over and over again through the years. And it will be tested again. Because if I know you in the natural, there's a lot of things that I'm attracted to about you. But that's not the most important stuff. Because there's also st stuff in you that's repulsive that's offensive to me and probably to God. But the most important thing is Jesus Christ that's in you, Christ in you. That's the hope. That's what he's building with. And then finally is the eyes on the finish line. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, it says, Do, not, do you not know that the race... In a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Let's look at that for a second, okay? Do you not know that in a race, all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Does that mean I'm beating, beating you guys? No. It means that I'm giving it everything that I've got. When I was a little kid, man, I loved to run. I was the fastest guy in the first grade. And I still remember that. I, I still see that as my potential. That's, that's how potentially fast I could run if I tried. But you know what the problem is? I realized this when I got into high school and later, is that nobody gives it their all when they run. Everybody's holding a little bit back. Nobody is killing themselves running. Everybody is running within that zone where they feel like I can sustain this. But you know what? This race is going to take everything that you've got. This race is one that you don't run half-heartedly. You don't, you don't run compromise. You don't go, run res, res, resolving yourself to be less. This is one that you run with the full intention of winning the race. The full intention of, of walking in the fullness of what God has for you. The full potential of who you are. Only one receives the prize, and he says, so run to obtain it. Run to obtain it. Let's just pause for just a second here, okay? Because as I said, I mean, it's like the tongues of fire. I'm seeing this in worship. I'm seeing that there is there's something going on here, and I'm talking about in this present moment. I'm not just talking about in, you know, in general or some general truth. I'm talking about right now. There's something that's going on in your heart. Can you identify right now 
what God is doing in your life? Can you identify with that? Can you identify just if it's nothing more than the presence of God and the effect that that has upon your heart? The things that fall away, the things that are not important, and the things that you dream, and the things that you want, and the desires that you have. Can we just pause for a second and just be right there with Him? Because He's right here with you. He's right here. Lord, you define us. Oh God, protect us from trying to define ourselves. Protect us from letting the world define us. You define us, and that definition is we're your child, I'm your son. And that's not even my doing, even though it's the most glorious thing I've ever experienced. I didn't even know about it, and I didn't really choose it until you did what you did in my heart, until you took me in your arms and you called me your own. I didn't get here because I cleaned up my life. I didn't get here because I walked away from my old life. I got here because you wrapped me up in your arms and you looked into my face and you called me your child. That's who I am. That's who I am. That right there is crossing the Jordan. That right there. And he told them when they crossed the Jordan, he said, build this memorial so that when your children ask you, what does that mean? Then you can tell them, God brought us into this promised land. God promised us this land. We're standing in this land. This is the promised land. And he, and he did a miracle to make it happen. But he also told them to do something else. He said, take 12 stones from the shore, from the promised land, and put it in the middle of the Jordan. And then when the Jordan closed back up over it, how did they know that that was there? Because of the stones that they could see. But it takes faith to believe that these are there. It takes faith to believe that God did what He did and that there's a memorial there to it. And you need to know that that part of your life was not your doing. That was His doing. And He wants to remind you that even though you can't see it sometimes, you need to know that it's there. It's just as much a story of the parts that are are there that you see. I feel like that the Lord's putting on my heart this morning um, is to be sober. To be sober. This world that we're living in has a lot of advantages over just the world that we had 20 years ago but it's got its own temptations too. It's got its own temptations. I wouldn't trade where I'm living right now for where I've come from. I wouldn't trade it. And I hope you wouldn't either. Because God's not interested in looking back. He has put a barrier between you and the past. You can't get there if you want to. You are where you are by the grace of God. 
But the, the environment that we find ourselves in right now is full of distractions. And it's full of e all kinds of evil. Subtle forms of evil, overt forms of evil. Be of good cheer. He's overcome the world. He's overcome the modern world. He overcame the, the past world. And he's going to be in the future. Paul says, so I do not run aimlessly and I don't box as one beating the air. But he says, I discipline my body and I keep it under control lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. And what he's describing there is a lifestyle. It's not like a one-time thing. It's like this is the way that I live. He says, I don't run aimlessly. He said, I've got a, I've got a, a course. I know what God has called me to do. And right now in my uh, Bible reading, I'm reading through the book of Acts, and I'm seeing Paul's life, and I'm trying to see it fresh like for the first time, because we know Paul is a great successful apostle, but the dude went through hell. He went through unbelievable, you know, frustrations and disappointments and betrayals and all of that. It was not a simple life whatsoever, but he was so consistent so consistent that even when his brothers and people in the church that he loved dearly tried to get him off that course, he would not be changed. He would not do it. He would not get off the course that God had for him. When, God, when Jesus got him, he got a mess. But when Jesus got him, he got a prize. Paul left to himself was the greatest of sinners. Paul doing what Paul could do with his life, serving God now. It wasn't just doing, you know, running amok. I mean, he was the, a Jew of, a, of all Jews. He was a Pharisee of all Pharisees. He's the best of the best. He was doing everything that he possibly could to serve God. I don't know about love God, but to serve God and to be faithful to God. And he was the exact opposite of he was a persecutor of the church. He was a killer of Christians. And Jesus said, I want that one. I want that one. I want that one to reach the Gentiles. And he did. And we today, we're still studying his words. Right? Because that's all that God wanted. Paul's course was not to go to Jerusalem and set up a church and make a whole bunch of converts. Paul got his butt kicked over and over again. And every time they punted him, where he landed, he shared the gospel. Right? And that's because he was so consistent. He was what he was. He wasn't playing around. He was doing what he was going to do. And when he got frustrated, when he got disappointed, and when he, when he met a brick wall... He planted a church there. That's what he did. He had his eyes on the prize. He had his eyes on the finish line. He had his eyes on a course. And he said, I'm forgetting what lies behind. And that's the good stuff and the bad stuff. And that's the great people and the terrible people. And that's the friendships and the family and all of that. I'm forgetting what lies behind and I'm reaching forward to what lies ahead because what lies ahead is glory. 
If you live a lifestyle like that, you will find it. You will find that love hurts, and you will also find that what Jesus said, I have overcome the world. You will find that. I'm not guaranteeing you success in a worldly sense. In fact, I can almost guarantee you that you're not going to see, see success in a worldly sense because a worldly sense of success is a, is a, it's a false sense. It's a false idea. It's, it's an aberration. It's a mirage. But you will see success, and you will say that is success. He says, I discipline my body. Listen, this is 27 of 1 Corinthians 9. He says, I discipline my body and I keep it under control lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Now, Paul, somebody needs to talk to Paul about once saved, always saved. I mean, he's obviously, you know, striving for something. You know, he's obviously not secure enough in his salvation, right? No, he's very secure in his salvation, our, our eternal security is not in a doctrine, it's in a person. It's in Jesus Christ. But he also knows, like we know from our present day, that there are people who can serve the Lord and then bring dishonor to the whole name of the whole thing. And Paul has always got that in front of him. Does that mean he's not going to heaven? I don't know. I don't think so. I think he's probably going to go to heaven either way. But on this side of the grave, he doesn't want to bring dishonor to the Lord. He wants to walk in such a way that he honors God with his lifestyle. That people, when he first gets saved, look at him and say, wow, I can't believe what's going on in your life. That must be God. And at the end of his life, when he's, when he's in prison and he's under, uh, under threat of death any single day at the whim of the emperor, he could, he could be put to death. Let me back up just a second. Why is he even there? He insisted. In fact, they said if he hadn't appealed to the emperor, we would have let him go. He wasn't there because the Romans decided to put him there. He was there because he decided to put, him there, put himself there. And so somebody at the very beginning of his life look at him and say, what a marvel, what a wonder. That's got to be God. And at the end of his life, they say the same thing. And that's what God wants about, from us too. He doesn't want us to live a lifestyle that peters out. He doesn't want us to be a flash in the pan. He doesn't want us to ever be able to hear somebody say, that's a phase everybody has to go through and it not be a knife in our heart. He wants it to be just consistently as much a miracle that you're walking with him today as it was when you first did and it, as it does with your last breath. Lest after having preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. He walked with a sober mind and a sober heart. And he walked, he, I believe that Paul had as much fun as anybody else, but I don't think he was pursuing fun. I think he was pursuing God. And I think he knew that there was going to be seasons and that are going to be up and down. There's going to be seasons when you feel great and seasons when you feel like nothing. I, I'm, I can tell you this. You're going to go into battle a whole lot more times with one boot off than you will fully armed and ready to face it. That's the way life is. That's the way a soldier is. A soldier is trained in every circumstance to fulfill his orders. 
And it's not when everything's going well, and it's not when he's got all the ammunition, and it's not when he's got, you know, all the equipment or anything like that. If you've got the equipment, don't let it languish. Use it, okay? But you will never feel fully qualified to do what God is calling you to do. It'll always be a step of faith, just like that first one. And your last one will be the same one when you close your eyes for the last time. Maybe you'll hear, hear bells. Maybe you'll see angels. I don't know. I've heard of people doing that, but not everybody. <laughs> Most people, they're closing their eyes for the last time and they're feeling their life slip away and it's by faith you believe. I'm, I know where I'm going. I believe. I want us to do communion a little different today. Um, so we'll hand out the elements and we'll all go back to our places and then we'll receive the elements at the same time. I love the way that we do communion. I love the, the fellowship and the, the, and the love that we share with each other. Um, a lot of you guys do take the elements and go back with your family, but this morning, as a church family, I want us to take the elements and all receive them at the same time. You can go back to your seats or you can stay up here. Just get them and, and stand you know, as close in here as you want to. Can I have the elders that are going to serve? And their wives. I'm sorry, I sometimes don't remember to say that, but that's what I mean every time. You got room? Thank you, Lord. Lord, prepare our hearts for this table. Um, I pray, Lord, that this would be a, an honest expression, Lord, of your body, uh, of, of love and understanding and appreciation for the sacrifice that you made for us, Lord. Um, I pray, Lord, if there's anything in any one of our lives that is standing between us and you, that you would completely eradicate it today and completely take it away. We repent, Lord, and we confess uh, to you, Lord, our sins and our sin. Lord. We, we confess to you, Lord, our failures. It's not a surprise. We all say it all the time. None of All of us are sinners. Not, there's, there's none that, that uh, is without sin. But admitting our own sin sometimes is, is difficult. But right now, Lord, in this safe place, in this space that you have made for us, Lord, in this promised land, in this promised life, we repent and we confess, Lord. And we receive your forgiveness. And we also commit ourselves to integrity in our relationships, Lord honesty, commitment, a commitment, Lord Jesus, in our relationships to live as godly in that, Lord, is our relationship with you. Thank you for it, Lord. Amen. Let's stand together. And you can come from the sides and receive the elements, and then we will uh, break the bread and pour the cup together. Amen. I survey the
This is my body, which is broken for you. And he took the cup and he gave it to him and he said, this is my blood, the blood of the new and everlasting covenant. By this blood, all your sins have been dealt with once and for all. 
He said, do this in remembrance of me. Lord, thank you for meeting with us today, Lord. And thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have given us a life that you intend for us to walk in, that you've given us, Lord, every advantage, every benefit, every opportunity, Lord, to walk in a new and everlasting way. I pray as we go forth from this place, Lord, that this event, what we have just been through, will be like those memorial stones that were under uh, the Jordan, under the surface of the Jordan, not seen, but known, that we would know, Lord, that today we have met with you. We would know, Lord, that today we have experienced the grace that you have for us, and that that, Lord, would be what would energize us and charge us, Lord, to go and take the promised land, to go and take the land that you have for us, Lord, to live the life that you have provided for us, Lord. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you and you're dismissed.